American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Now, as he watches London burn in late 1940, Arthur Harris, a Royal Air Force planner who's directing the uh, mounting up of what is going to be a massive British bombing campaign against German cities, turns to an associate and he says, they are sowing the whirlwind. In fact, what Harris and the Royal Air Force were planning was a deliberate series of attacks most of them conducted at night with incendiary weapons on Germany's towns and cities with the purpose of carrying out what was called area bombing, not precision attacks on military or industrial targets, but attacks deliberately designed to set ablaze the ancient medieval city centers of German towns, villages, and cities and kill, uh, displace, and ultimately break the will of Germany's civilian population. This is pretty clear from what Harris says. The aim of the combined bomber offensive should be unambiguously stated as the destruction of German cities, the killing of German workers, and the disruption of civilized life throughout Germany. The destruction of houses, public utilities, transport and lives, the creation of a refugee problem on an unprecedented scale, and the breakdown of morale both at home and at the battlefronts by fear of extended and intensified bombing are accepted and intended aims of our bombing policy. They are not byproducts of attempts to hit factories. So in other words, our goal, Harris was saying, is not to destroy the factories, but to kill or terrorize the workers who are really the heart of the industrial economy that flows through those factories. Now, when the U.S. enters the war, the U.S. Army Air Forces, in their attacks on German targets, have a different philosophy. They plan mostly daylight raids, and they rest their, their hopes on what they believe is the incredible technological uh, capacity of their equipment. Uh, in particular, the B-17 Flying Fortress, which is uh, studded with machine guns, which will supposedly keep away German fighter aircraft, and the Norden bombsite, uh, which is a piece of optical equipment uh, that is used to calibrate uh, and find the exact time and the exact angle at which to drop bombs, supposedly so accurate that it can put a 500-pound bomb from a mile in the sky into the inside of a pickle barrel. This did not prove to be true in practice. Although the U.S. carries out massive, in fact, very costly attacks on industrial sites year after year after year, it is not clear that they were therefore able to significantly reduce Germany's industrial capacity. And as I said, the cost was very high. In some massive daylight raids, as many as 20% of the airmen who left never returned. And yet, in 1944, the German industrial economy was able to produce more aircraft in that single year than it had produced in the entirety of World War II up to that point. The Germans were able to adapt, moving factories underground, dispersing production units, and doing other things to try to mitigate the effects of the American attack on their industrial capacity. So the U.S. and Britain invest a tremendous amount a tremendous amount of economic resources, a tremendous amount of industrial production, a tremendous amount of human life 
uh, in the form of, of the air crew who die trying to carry out this strategic bombing effort. Uh, and, and they also um, decide to set aside the rules of war and, and instead to follow this theory that strategic bombing, either by destroying production or breaking the will of the enemy, will shorten the war. And so we have to ask whether or not this was actually worth it. Well, uh, if we look at the question of whether or not strategic bombing broke the will of the Germans in particular to continue fighting, in 12 years of rule, Hitler faced only one credible attempt to remove him from power. In May 1945, Germans are still fighting on the battlefield. and In fact, they would continue in some cases to fight to attack Allied forces after the final surrender of Nazi Germany was signed. So the question of whether or not the will of, of the Germans to continue to fight uh, is, is at the very least an open one. And as for their ability to produce um, the um, materials necessary to carry out war in the industrial age, well, that's another question too. I mentioned the fact that the number of aircraft produced for the German Air Forces actually increases during 1944. Now we could say that's just uh, devoting resources primarily to trying to shoot down bombers, and so that does affect the battlefield. And certainly transportation nodes, rail networks, things like that were badly damaged um, by U.S. attacks. But already, even by uh, the end of the war, uh, there were many, many questions in the U.S. military establishment about whether or not this was actually a smart use, or, use of resources. So the U.S. Army commissioned something called the Strategic Bombing Survey, which is carried out by the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, the predecessor of the CIA. And it has an eminent staff, including as one of its uh, lead writers and researchers, a guy named John uh, Kenneth Galbraith, who goes on to be one of the most famous economists in uh, post-war America. Well, Galbraith and his staff come up with the conclusion that, in fact, uh, the um, strategic bombing survey shows that all of these bombs, all of these efforts, ultimately did very little to damage the German war effort, uh, even from uh, the perspective of looking at the productive capacity of their industry. And uh, when, when that uh, um, survey is completed, those conclusions are drawn up, what happens? One of the directors of the strategic bombing survey, a guy named Paul Nietzsche, buries Galbraith's conclusions. And he rewrites the report to say that, in fact, yes, there was uh, a massive impact. And this is very important for the way that the post-war world, and in particular, uh, post-war American military industrial establishment is constructed. It creates a kind of path dependence. Not only would Nietzsche himself go on to be one of the architects of post-war U.S. nuclear policy, a policy which to a large extent consisted of building up a massive nuclear arsenal, just as the Soviets were doing, uh, and confronting their enemy uh, with the threat of what soon became called mutually assured destruction uh, if either one used nuclear weapons. And that sounds a lot like the theory behind strategic bombing. Not only was that the case, uh, but at the same time, the U.S. economy and the U.S. military was committed to producing big-ticket strategic bombing uh, aircraft uh, and, and soon missiles, missile-carrying submarines, 
and other kinds of uh, technologies and devices that would consume a huge amount of resources that perhaps could have been used more effectively in the post-war world. To a large extent, because the theory behind strategic bombing survived the test and what appears to be the failure of the theory in the actual real world. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Mm-hmm.